Welcome to Tea Time with Mary. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm a former bikini fitness model turned self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey friends, before we begin, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast episode is sponsored by my favorite books. Not literally, but I did create a book list for you with all of my favorite books for self-love and body image and self-confidence and just overall self-healing and growth. I am a huge personal growth person. And to be honest with you, a lot of the things that I talk about come from the books that I've read. I'm a big reader and I always tell my little sister, readers are leaders. And I love audiobooks. I love book books. I love Kindle. I love all the forms of books. Just give me all the goods. So I decided to create a book list for you with my top 25 favorite books. And I actually add to this list. So there's probably going to be more than 25 books on it. But I have narrowed it down to top 25 books that you need to read to start the self-love journey. I'm not saying you have to read all the books right now, but you should have this list handy dandy for when you're getting a book on Amazon or shopping in your Audible or whatever. So I've created this book list and you can get it at maryscupoftea.com slash books. And I will also put it in the show notes. And let me know how you like these recommendations by screenshotting what you're reading and tagging me in your Instagram stories. I always love seeing you use my recommendations. It just makes my whole day because we're like a little community. So anyways, maryscupoftea.com slash books. Go get it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mary's Cup of Tea, the podcast that inspires you to love yourself. Today, I'm here with Arielle Astoria. By the way, I'm sure you get this a lot, Arielle, but your name like, <laughs> is so beautiful and so fitting for you. you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, it's, Astoria is actually my grandma's name. Um, so I have two middle names, Astoria Lita. And they're both uh, my grandmas who passed away within a year of me being born. So um, my mom gave me their name so I could still kind of carry on a piece of them, which I really love. It's kind of, I don't know if we knew at the time, um, but Astoria, it's kind of ironic to be able to be a storyteller and to have a have a name like a middle name like that. So I was very fun. That. Yeah, because yeah, actually, you you do this in many different ways. There's many manifestations of this, but you are a storyteller, whether it's through your spoken word poetry or your writing, yeah. your scene, um, even the the things you share on Instagram, your modeling, your acting. Like every single thing you do is telling a story. And I would yeah. love to know what what led you to this. Yeah. Um, I always kind of go back as a kid. I uh, Any type of elevated platform, any type of camera opportunity I took. Um, and I had an alter ego. Her name was Erica Wallace. And she would perform with her boa and her plastic hook heels and the like little microphones with like the spring inside of them. Like that was like my jam. And I would make up songs and um, play with accents and perform, you know, for people. And uh, that kind of, that person in me um, never really left. 
act. And so the older I got, the more I still performed, um, whether that was at my church or whether that was in high school, I went to an arts high school. Um, so I did theater and, um, like regular academics earlier in the day. And, um, that was like my emphasis and then went to college and studied psychology and theater thinking that maybe I would do art therapy for kids. And that kind of changed over time. And the more I worked with college students, the more I fell in love with just like that age group. And the more I was like, oh, maybe I won't, you know, do a direct any field, you know, a direct art field or a direct psychology field. And so I continued with that. Um, I eventually dropped my double major because I was like, oh, I don't need theater. Like, I'm not going to be a performer. I'm going to do the practical thing. And um, the more I dropped that, the more spoken word came into the into the picture. And I'd always written. So a lot of my poetry first started with theater and writing monologues and plays and things like that. And so if you really scroll in my YouTube, you can like find some like older monologues that I like written and like performed on my computer and and posted on my YouTube. So there's something in me that won't let me delete them because I feel like they're supposed to um, exist a little bit. And so um, I, I definitely feel like art has kind of always been a part of who I am. Creativity has always been a part of who I am. Storytelling has always been a part of who I am. But um, the older I got, the more it was like, oh, push it down and do this professional thing or push it down and then and do this professional thing. But then I graduated and and none of the professional things felt right. Um, they didn't feel like the next step. And so I graduated in 2015 from college and I was like, oh, all right, I'm just going to take the next year and I'm just going to be a creative. And I didn't really know what that meant or what that looks like. And now here we are almost, almost six years later. And, um, and I've been doing it full time ever since. So whether that was spoken word or eventually was acting or being a teaching artist, um, and then back to a little bit of teaching artists and then leaving teaching artists and traveling more for both modeling and speaking. And it just kind of like snowballed. So a lot of times, I say, um, you know, I didn't find art. Art had always found me um, and just kind of waited for me to respond to it. Um, yeah. And talk about a multifaceted creator. <laughs> Thank is you. A, and this is a, a very personal and selfish driven question. <laughs> ever like, I don't know, for me, I'm like, I want to do all the things right? <laughs> yeah. all at once. And yeah. You know, there's people, especially in the social media and like business space. And when you're trying to make a living, right? People are like, right down and focus on one thing and talk about one thing and do one thing and get really good at that one thing. And you're like, man, I want to do that one. (laughs) (laughs) And I very much so was like, focus on the one thing. And even now you still hear, find your niche, find your niche. And so I knew going into poetry that I wasn't just going to be a poet. Like I knew that was just one outlet or one stream. Um, and, and then from that stream, uh, I mean, technically it was theater, you know, and, and then from acting poetry came from that stream. And then from that stream came more speaking, you know, and then from that stream came, you know, emceeing or hosting. Um, and it just kind of like created more of like a, this is a, one thing, uh, it's just a lot of different things tucked into a lot of different things. So it really doesn't feel like I do a whole bunch of separate things. It all feels very much so like one existence, one breath. And I don't know if that's because I feel equally excited or equally as passionate about 
all that I do. Um, but it, there's definitely an element where I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel like I do very much. You know, it just feels all very cohesive. Well, I think that where that cohesiveness comes from, and this is the the line you use everywhere, is you you speak and write and create words, not for the ears, but for the soul. That's mm-hmm. the first line on your website. And that really landed with me because I think you do a fantastic job of having this like, you know, you have a primary field of interest, which is words. Right. Like that's your, your thing is words and whatever direction that manifests, like all of it is great. Right. But you know, that that's, that's actually your thing. And you don't put yourself in this box to, right. you know, be just a spoken word or just a written yeah. word. And see your theater that yeah. you do have your thing. It's just mm-hmm. how it shows up can be different. Yeah. And I mean, even, even visually, like I, I, at first it was really hard to convey that you're a poet on Instagram, you know, besides the little quotes and things like that. But like specifically I was a spoken word and, and I didn't always like videos, you know, I didn't like the way they look on, <laughs> looked on my feed. Um, and that was before, you know, we progressed to IGTV and cover photos and all that stuff. And so I was just like, Oh, I just don't like the way videos visually look. So I guess people are just not going to know that I, you know, do spoken words. So when I like, would share a poem or share something, people were like, wait, you're a poet. And I'm like, I literally, that's all I do. You know, like I'm not initially a model, like that kind of stemmed out of the space of like, I like taking photos. You know, I had friends who are photographers and I like shopping, you know, it didn't turn out into me. I'm a model. It's just like, I shop too much. And I, my friends take pictures, you know, like that's really what it turned into. And so, um, but even through that, it was like, for me, they're like the actor in me was like, oh, I don't want to get stuck in modeling because I can't use my voice, you know, like that. And I can't, I have to speak, you know, but there's actually so much you can say in photos. There's so much that happens in, in a still photo. There's so much interpretation. There's so much feeling that you can get from it. And so I was like, oh, actually, I'm still technically speaking, um, even though I'm not technically using words in a sense. And so I love that you, that you say that because it really was just whether it's written word, whether it's spoken word, whether I'm hosting or I'm seeing, whether I'm dancing, um, whether I'm taking a photo, my, I'm a storyteller through and through, mm-hmm. um, whether I'm actually speaking the words or not, there's a, still a story being told and a story worth hearing. Ah, I just got chills every second. <laughs> Just so like crafted. It feels like I don't know. It feels like everything you speak is a poem. Music's my ears, and I know for it to be that way. But I'm like, wow. Like what a. I don't know. I I, I admire that permission. I guess that you mm-hmm. yourself to show up in all the ways that you are in every way that you are. Um, and by doing that, you give other people permission to do that too. And as I'm here to speak, I'm like, well. Maybe I can too. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's so much about like um courageousness or boldness or confidence is it's really um I I've really come to learn in in the whole confidence conversation of self-love and, and, and empowerment and, and body positivity and neutrality in all of the conversations. There's so much that can only exist here within ourselves. Um, it has to, has to go out, you know, um, it has to leak out. Um, otherwise I, I think it's uh, very void if it only stays within us. Um, and so my ability to put on a swimsuit and take pictures, you know, gives other women and same for you, you know, gives other women 
women the permission to be like, well, if she can do it, I can do it too. You know, um, and, and same for like, I saw you share your poem. And so I have a poem. Can you, can you, can you read it? I would like to share it with you. And it's this beautiful space of like, I've allowed myself to have the permission, um, to give myself permission to grant the visit permission, which automatically gives this like permission slip out to mm-hmm. others. Um, and it's usually not a permission slip that we're trying to get from, from people necessarily, but just ourselves. Like we are the ones who usually are the, uh, the biggest critics, you know, the people who get in our way is usually just one person. And that one person is usually just yourself, you know? And so if you allow yourself that permission uh, to show up, and to show up boldly um, creates this beautiful flag of permission and other people see it. And there's this like freedom and this exhale to do the same for themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I One thing I started living by about five years ago, ever since I heard it is when in doubt, focus out. And mm-hmm. for me, that was really therapeutic because um, the idea of permission, I mean, it's one thing to be like, okay, like I can go wear a swimsuit on the beach. But it's another thing to be like, Hey, if I hold back from wearing a swimsuit on the beach right now, Mm -hmm. what message am I giving subconsciously or like non-verbally to other women? Right. Like if I'm covered up and and insecure and holding, holding back, or whether that's holding back from sharing my gifts or speaking my voice, what message is that giving other people? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For me, that was like a, a game changer because then it's like, it's not just about me anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with, with the conversation of like, my parents used to always tell me, you know, someone is always watching and not in like a creepy way, but like as an oldest child, you know, it was like your siblings are always watching or their friends are always watching. Like you, whether you think you're an example or not, you're, you're an example, you know, for to something to someone to some extent. And so that kind of always stuck with me of like someone could always be taking notes, you know, um, uh, either what not to do, you know, or what to do and, and interpreting that in their own way. And, and what kind of example, you know, are you setting, um, has always been something I've really permeated on. Yeah. You brought up your parents, which, which led me to think, do you think that, um, there was, so, like, were you always this creative, outgoing, and wanting to share your gifts with the world, or was there somebody early in your life that gave you that permission, that kind of yeah, that fire? Because I, I don't yeah. know, born with it, or <laughs> right? Well, I think a lot of it. My parents kind of always encouraged my siblings and I um, to. Uh, to do, to do what God leads essentially. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm a faith-based person. And so my dad is a pastor. So I tease him all the time. I'm like, you didn't really set me up to do the practical thing. Like you, you literally, your life is ministry. So why would I then go and do anything more practical than that? You know? Um, and so that kind of example setting of just like, you go where you feel led to go, you go where you feel called to go. You do the things that you feel and know in your whole heart and your whole spirit, like I'm made for this. And ultimately that's, that's what creativity was. That's what art was. You know, I was made for it. And, um, they, you know, they put me in an arts high school. Um, they would, I would do like classes and summer camps and things like that. And they were usually arts affiliated. And so they had seen that in me, you know, and they never really shied away from letting it exist. And it really wasn't until 
my seventh grade, actually middle school, I did um, for my history class, we did a whole Midsummer's Night's Dream production as part of our like final assignment. And that was like, the breaking point, if you will, for me, um, because then my teacher was like, whoa, 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 like we just did this assignment, but she saw something else in me entirely. Um, and it was that conversation that led my mom and I to come into counter with the high school that I went to just because in seventh grade, my, my crazy Miss Frizzle looking teacher was like, you need to put her in the arts. Like she took what, what we just did on a whole new level. Like I've never seen anything like that. You have to invest in that, you know, you have to focus on that. And so then that turned into us moving and finding another girl randomly. And she's like, Oh yeah, I go to, you know, Oakland school for the arts. And we're like, there's, that's a thing. Like I can go to an art school. And so I auditioned and I got in and I was in a production like less than like three months later. And, and so it was just like, there was something, a lot of people saw in me, um, continuously, even in college. Um, I, I did a lot of leadership. Uh, I was very oriented. So I didn't do a lot of plays and things like that because I was involved with student life so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was involved with leadership so much. And so I kind of had to choose and I kind of always went the leadership route, even over the art route. And, and so I, I sat in a lot of spaces with a lot of staff and a lot of faculty. And the closer I got to graduation, the more I'm like, I'm supposed to stay here. You know, I'm supposed to work here. And it was like, uh, no, you're not supposed to be here. You're actually made for something bigger. And I was like, what does that mean? Why do people keep saying that? And so uh, if it were up to me, I definitely, I would not be where I'm at right now. Um, all that to say, I've had a lot of people see me and push me in the direction in which they saw me and that I couldn't see myself. And so um, it was instilled very, very young, you know, that like you, you, you go where you feel called, whether, and it doesn't matter what it looks like, you go where you feel called. And, and this is where, where I feel very called right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's created such a positive feedback loop. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've heard, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you've, you've heard of this work, The Artist's Way. Yeah, I literally have it. Like, I'm like, you, no one else can see it, but you can see it. I'm like, I literally have it right here. Mine yeah. is literally on the couch right there too. Yes. I just got it um, because I am from the group that told myself my whole life that I'm not creative right. only because I was good at math. I know, mm-hmm. I remember, but <laughs> I liked math. And yeah. I was good at English and I thought like, Hey, like I really like writing. Um, and, but I always thought like, because I took my writing very, um, logically, like I would take it a math equation like, right. and then there's the body. Yeah. And yeah. I took those grammar teachings like very mm. seriously, um, into my writing. So I, I'm, I'm not that stereotypical portrayal of an artist, right. Where like my little sister, she's, she's messy. She's funky. She's creative. She's dancing. She's, yeah. she's making origamis like all the time. <laughs> that's what she prides herself on. But mm-hmm. I wasn't like that. And I think picking up the artist's way was my way of being kind of like, no, I can be creative mm-hmm. in my own way. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering for somebody that, for example, didn't have, you know, their parents or somebody pushing them in that right creative mm. direction. Do you think it's too late? Do you think we can no. channel that inside of <laughs> Yeah, it's never too late. Like if you go through the artist's way, I love how she 
actually like might read a quote from it because in the beginning she talks about the two camps that exist you know um and 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 she talks about how um even and you just saying about math math is very creative my brain my creative brain cannot understand math i hated math it was actually like the reason i got held back because i just my brain couldn't like let me write an essay let give me a paper you know like give me a book report it's right but like give me a test give me equations and my brain like shut down and so I think that shows the extent of creativity um, and the complexity of our minds and our brains because everyone is creative in a sense you can't create or build something um, without there being a tinge of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, for me, um, oh, this is a perfect quote. She says, in a sense, as we are creative beings, our lives become our work of art. I think that in itself is like so perfect because um, whether we paint, whether we uh, build, whether we draw or, or write or dance or sing, um, or speak or like everybody is creative. Um, and, and for me as, as a faith-based person, believing that we are created, we all have the ability to then create, Mm. um, which I think is the biggest part of it. And so, um, like I was created, therefore I, of course I can create things because I've been made to, you know? Um, and so I think we have this stigma. It's like, I'm not an artist, but that doesn't mean you're not creative. Um, and everyone in their own right is an artist artist um, because an artist is just the, someone or who makes something out of nothing and we all have the ability to do that can I get an amen on a <laughs> <laughs> yeah I you don't know how much I needed to hear that mm. um, like I said at the beginning I struggle with this like want to do all the things and yeah. I don't feel I am in this world yeah. and I don't know what this is gonna look like and that lack I think it really comes down to a lot of self-trust or just trust mm-hmm. in totally. God. And, yeah. and one reason why I picked up the artist's way is because it's mm-hmm. the title, A Spiritual Path. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. What, yeah. So many of us need. Um, can I know with, we've had a lot of this anti-racist revolution show up on social media. Um, and my heart goes out to you and your community and I'm here for you. But I want to know how your experience as a Black woman in America has shaped the work you do in this world. Yeah. Um, that like and how has that shown up? Yeah, I think, um, so back to just like how, how I was raised, my parents very much so instilled in us um, our names being the the forefront of who we are. So me, I'm the oldest of five kids and each of my siblings, we each have different names that represent different seasons in my parents' life. Um, So Ariel means lion or lion of God. And um, and then you go all the way down to my little brother who's in Zion and that's the place where God dwells. And, And so we were first reminded of our namesakes and our name me. And then we were reminded of, and you're talented, you know, and you're smart and you're good at this and you're good at this. In addition, you're also 
Black, you know, you're also African-American. And so because we grew up, um, like I don't ever really remember growing up around any one kind of race. You know, obviously most our family um, is predominantly Black, but then in the Black community, you have like aunts and uncles who like are actually related to you. You just have like always called them that. And uh, my 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 aunts and, and the people closest to us were El Salvadorian and Puerto Rican and and Native American, you know, and so, and African American. So I've always, and the Bay Area is where I'm from, and, and that's the, a melting pot. Like yeah. you can go there and you will find everyone of every tone, um, both in skin and also in voice, like mm-hmm. everything. And so I didn't grow up around one of anyone, you know, or, or a mass amount of anyone. And so I grew up with this very full and rich concept of what it means to be a person of color, also around people of color and also around, you know, white people consistently. And so it wasn't until college where I had that moment of like, um, everyone needing to remind me that I'm black, you're black, you're black, you're black, you're black, you're black. Cause it, I, my university was predominantly white. And I was like, why does everyone keep saying that? Like, I know that I'm aware of that, but why do people keep the need, like need to remind me of it? Like I need, like it needed to change how I responded to the world or change how I acted um, or how I showed up. And, and I'm in, I'm a lighter skin tone and that has its own conversation in itself. Most of my siblings are darker than I am. My parents are darker than I am. Um, and I remember my mom telling me because of my fair skin, she would walk around with me, you know, and people would make fun or tease her or, or make comments that, you know, is her daddy the milkman or just implying a white person, you know, and things like that. And, and growing up and having kids, you know, put vanilla envelopes up to me saying that I, I wasn't black, I was yellow, or I was like this envelope, or I was adopted because I didn't look like my siblings or um, my freshman year of college and I wear a head wrap to go to sleep because I have to take care of my hair. And, um, and, and my roommates whispering if I had cancer or not because they couldn't see my hair. Um, just like really, really just ignorant things I didn't, I wasn't aware of that even needed to be brought up in conversation because I was so used to seeing everyone of any type. You know, one of my closest friends in fifth grade was, um, wasn't, is, you know, Muslim. And I've, I've always known her to wear um, a headpiece, a, a turban, uh, or, or a head wrap for specifically for women, and and I and I never question why can't I see your hair, you know why can't? And so I there was this um, illicit courtesy in me um, to know and accept people for every type of beauty that they are and exist within. Um, and, and so funneling that into my art, um, the whole concept of words, not for the ears, but for the soul is like, I'm going to talk to the heart of people regardless. Um, so yes, we have skin and yes, it's different tones and colors that we exist in beautifully. And it makes this beautiful picture of what it means to be made in the image of what I view God to be. And at the same time, there's still a soul that's in every single person that I want to speak to, um, that I want to connect with. And so for me, it was like, I just want, I want to talk 
to the person of every color, of every tone, of every dialect. Um, I want to talk to the person and um, knowing that I grew up in this space of just this beautiful melting pot where I'm like, wow, I know how to go into a restaurant and it's run by a family of that ethnicity, you know, and not and not the other way around. And so it's really interesting to to grow up now and and to be recently married and to be in an interracial relationship um, and to have all these different views and, and conversations about like, oh, what does it look like? What does it mean to be a Black woman in America? And if you ask that question to any individual Black woman, you will get a very different answer. Um, and this is mine. You know, I I grew up knowing who I was and what my name meant and, and being African-American was a part of that complexity. Mm-hmm and wholeness of who I am um, and not anything solidarity, you know, not anything solely. Uh, I am this and I am that and, um, and there's more of a fullness. And so for me, I've always had a fairly full picture of what it looks like um, to be black, to be talented, to be um, a person of leadership, to be, you know, this and that um, and, and having its own threads of conversations here and there. Um, and then now just having to, you know, know, backtrack on a lot of conversations where I'm like, if you look at most of things that I've been involved with, I'm usually the one person of color. Um, but then if you, my my mom would always be like, oh, I can't find you. Like, which one are you? Because I'm fair skinned, you know? And so um, that comes with its own privilege. That comes with its own experiences. Um, and, and it's been very interesting. But I think for me, it's always been, I want to talk to the person. I don't want to talk to the work ethic. I don't want to talk to race. I don't, I'm, I'm going to talk to the person. Um, and that has been a thread through and through. Wow. I am rarely speechless. This is one of the things that I am. And I was going to take back what I said at the beginning about how you don't let anybody put you in a box. You live life <laughs> like there's no box, like it never existed. The box. Sometimes, yeah, I definitely have my own. I definitely have my own boxes that I'm trying to uh, outwork. But at the same time, I think uh, being an artist, being an empath, being a feeler, I, I, I definitely have a, a wider view of like, oh man, I, I'm always thinking, yes, there's a silver lining to things, but I also, I'm always thinking there's got to be more to this, you know? Um, so that's hard to live in a box when you're always like, there's, there's something like, it's like a Moana, you know, like there's something on the other side of, of this. Um, there's something on the other end of this and uh, I want to explore it. You know, I want to find it. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I forgot, I don't know if I told you this, but I'm also from the Bay. Oh, no way. I didn't know that. Born in San Jose. Yes. I love the Bay. I plan to go back at some point for mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah. But I moved to North Phoenix when I was okay. like six, but I was always back and forth because my dad lived in the Bay up until a year ago. Um, and unfortunately, I went to a school that was all white. Um, mm. And I, and and same with like our shopping malls, like they were all white and it was, it wasn't like you could go next door and there's a black community. It was like, no, literally like for miles and miles, it's all white. Um, and I didn't like that growing up. I Mm. did not like that. And to be honest, Mm. I feel like I fit in because, Mm. um, I don't know if it's because my parents are refugees or because, you know, being in the Bay, even as a toddler, Mm. I didn't get a different sense. So I never felt like I said, and I'm just so grateful that I was able to go study in Canada because, um, in Canada, it it wasn't like, you know, how it was in in my middle and high school. 
And like you said about, you know, the Muslim woman wearing their headpieces and then the black people and going into the cafeteria and seeing all the, all the people, you know, just seeing people and expanding it. There's nothing like experiencing it, right? Like I can read about it. We can watch the videos, but there's nothing like standing in that cafeteria. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everybody for who they are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think definitely, I mean, we lived in like Marin County for a short amount of time and there's definitely a moment there. I was like, oh, I'm the only person, you know, of any, of any kind of color for the most part. And, um, even just like being bigger than most of my friends, um, and a lot of my friends being the smaller, you know, just like smaller statures and, um, and growing up with like, oh, I don't feel like in that middle school, high school age, you know, like, I don't feel like I sit here, you know, that I belong here. Then literally just going on the other side of the bridge, you know, to, to Richmond and Oakland. And you're like, what? There are people who look like me. Like this is wild. And so hence the melting pot, at least, you know, and, um, the more affluent areas that you get, you know, obviously there's like that change of demographic, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting. Um, but definitely in that overlap of just like literally 10, 15 minutes across the bridge and the different worlds that you can sit in and one that you feel like you belong in and the one that you feel like, oh, this was not made for me. You know, this setup was not made for me. And, and, and that being really interesting. Absolutely. How do you not let that in your light for lack of yeah. I mean, I'm well, it did. I think it definitely did, especially like you know, even middle school, high school, which is really interesting that I say the seventh grade, you know, play because I think seventh grade was like my peak of like, uh, uh, learning a bad about myself, the creative aspect of who I, I was being the reason I could come out of hiding. I think so. Um, growing for the most part though, I lived in Marin County from about fifth grade till about seventh grade, eighth grade. And, and that whole, <laughs> that whole streamline of just like hiding, like all my friends were more vocal than I was, you know, um, or, or I would just wear clothes, you know, that hid my bigger body. Um, cause it just didn't feel like I could take up that much space, you know? Um, and then in seventh grade, what acting did for me was I was able to step into the shoes of other people and be that person instead of being myself, which then ultimately gave me freedom to go back into myself um, and freely be that. And so there was something about stepping on the stage and sharing story and sharing vulnerability of other people that gave me the permission to be like, okay, if I could be that character, I could be myself, you know, her vulnerability or their vulnerability was able to, to take up space and to be accepted than maybe my own vulnerability, maybe my own, you know, insecurities or, or confidence can also take up space. And so that, that permission definitely existed there in that space for me, but fifth grade to about seventh, eighth grade was like really hard. I just like hid, but then I found theater and then it was like, oh, I don't have to hide. And then went to the art school and it was like, oh, there are people who look and act and respond like I do. And that really allowed me the space to not have to hide too. Um, and so again, it's just this layer of, of permission and different things setting up that permission for me. Yeah. Talk about the resilience you have. Wow. Um, you mentioned being an empath and mm-hmm. 
feeler. Did you say feeler or healer? Yeah. No feeler. Oh, uh, it could be both, I guess, but feeler. Oh, <laughs> uh, what, what is that like for you? How does that show up? Because yeah. I very, 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 very much relate to that. Um, mm-hmm. and only let it come out recently. Um, mm-hmm. Literally, as soon as I turned 20, I'm only 22, but I'm like, why am I crying every day? And then I'm like, <laughs> I'm bad about crying every day. Yeah. 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 Before and, and things like that. And not just with tears, but just feeling everything very deeply and being so mm-hmm. passionate and that getting mistaken as like, why are you so angry? And I'm like, I'm not angry. Right. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. Every single emotion is heightened. Um, yeah. How do you balance that? I mean, for me, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be me without that. Oh, absolutely. I think I've always been um, emotional. You know, I, at first it was like, you know, that you tease the the little kids for being a drama queen. You know, I was definitely, I was definitely accused of that many and many times. And, and then realizing what that actually looked like as an adult of like, oh no, that wasn't necessarily drama. That was just me as a child uh, feeling everything and not knowing what the heck I was feeling, things that were mine and things that weren't mine at the same time. And um, then getting older and, and being that teenager, you know, I would, I had many a times where I would just lay in my room, lights completely off. And I would be playing Dreaming with a Broken Heart by John Mayer, like over and over and over and over again. And I usually like didn't actually have a broken heart. I just like felt very emotional about it or like playing Adele, which is just triggery for anyone because she just makes you miss that person you never knew or dated uh, while that you met on a train, you know, like just random stuff like that. And so I've always been like, I feel this and I feel this deeply. And then the older I get, you know, and the, and the more in psychology I started doing. And then most recently, you know, the Enneagram coming out and, and realizing that I, um, I, 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 I'm a type four, which is, um, the individualistic hopeless romantic. And I was like, oh yeah, that pretty much sums up, you know, all of me in a nutshell of like, I like my autonomy. I like, I like paving my own way. I like being unique, but then I also will just sit here and I'll just feel everything and not necessarily sadness, but just all of it. Like if there's joy, there's joy, but there's also maybe grief and we can hold both, you know, and navigating through that conversation. And so, um, I've always been, um, the person who will hear a story. And if someone starts crying, I will start crying. Like I cannot, I can't help it. And I think, what that really is, is just my superpower, my ability to tap into the world um, with what I've been given to tap into with. And that is with my emotions. That's with my ability to feel and empathize um, and, and to walk into a room and I will change poems. I will change sets just because I can, I can feel like actually feel a shift happening in the room and I want to serve what I'm experiencing or I want to serve who's in front of me. So I will add lines to poems. I will change sets just because I can, I can feel the people in the audience. Um, and I think that's definitely a gift that I now realize is a gift and not anything but that. But before it was like, Oh, what is wrong with me? You know, like get it together. But it's like, no, what are you navigating through here? Like, what are you experiencing here? And use that is the biggest thing use it yeah so what you're saying is that not only is it okay for us women to feel our feelings majority 
our women, but they can also be our gift and our superpower. Absolutely. I think they they are a part of how we show up in the world mm-hmm. and how how we heal and 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 fill voids um, that we feel. We're feeling it because there's something in it to respond to. Um, and we've been created to respond to it, which is why we're feeling it in the first place. And so usually that those feelings, those emotions, those I'm, I'm, I'm holding everything right now is, is for a reason, is for a reason. Yeah. And I think it's especially important for empaths to have, you know, those boundaries and, and that self-care and that time to recharge and, and reset because we spend so much of our lives in heightened emotional states, not just like with ourselves, but because of others. Yeah. Um, and so that that's so important. I'm wondering if you have some sort of a self care situation, or how do you how do you make sure you take care of yourself? Yeah, well, so much of being um, a feeler or an empath means that you soak in a lot of everything. So even right now, I find myself very overwhelmed. Uh, because I'm I'm intaking everything, whether I'm conscious of intaking it or not, and so having to step back, having to unplug, um, but I'm also a very productive Type A person at the same time, and so it's like, okay, you work until one o'clock, two o'clock, and then you give yourself an afternoon or um, like Sunday. I I told my husband I was like, I need to go to the beach. I just, it could be 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be super long, but like, I need to go to the beach. And so we did literally for 30 minutes and I felt worlds lighter. And so, um, the beach is a huge part of it. If I can get to it, I'm just unplugging, um, music, just doing things around on the apartment is super helpful. Um, uh, sometimes just napping, you know, like waking up, eating food, going back to sleep. Sometimes we were talking about that earlier. Sometimes that's necessary. Um, and it's really just about listening to my to myself, to my body in that present moment and truly asking like, what is it you need? Like, oh, I need ice cream. You know, oh, I need a walk or, oh, I need to do a, a workout. You know, like my, I will speak, I will, my body will speak those things very clearly um, to me and, uh, and choosing to hear it and to listen. Yeah. I think yeah. Um, in my current relationship is the first time that I felt like it was okay to lay in bed at two o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And not because anybody has flat out told me that it's not, but because right. um, my boyfriend very much reaffirms, like, you know, if I get off, even if I do something like a podcast interview, mm-hmm. right? Um, even though it's something I do multiple times a week and, and it's, right. you know, part of my work and it's enjoyable and I love it and it's amazing and there's all these positive things about it. When I get off, sometimes I'm like, feel tired and mm-hmm. my boyfriend will reaffirm me. Well, you just did a really big thing. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> right. like well, right. your your energy is going out. Yeah. And they're not just with that one person, but for the whole audience you're recording for. Right. And um, he's very empathetic to the empathy. So true. Yeah, that's so good. I'm my my husband's really good of like, okay, we're when are you gonna take a break? You know, like are you gonna sit down? And I'm just like, no, we're in we're in the flow, we're in the motivation. So and it's like, and I know if I sit, I probably won't wanna get up, you know, but like that's okay if that does happen, you know, and and finding that great for yourself and and for for yourself in that moment is super important. I love that. Yeah. And insert holding in your pee because you need to just get that one thing. Yeah. Right. Yes. You're like, 
or eating. I'm so bad at that. Sometimes I'm like, it's two o'clock. You yep. need to eat something. Like, yeah, for sure. Okay, you mentioned husband. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It feels very it feels very natural. Like I don't know. I think it feels very like, oh, this was of course, like this is where we're at, you know. Like I haven't really struggled with like calling him my fiance, you know, or my boyfriend. Like I'm very clear with who he is to me, which is really sweet and really nice. And so it's only been about three weeks tomorrow, um, which has been fun and we got married in a at a beach in the middle of the pandemic and it was and it was perfect. And um and he often wakes up and you know, he's like my wifey, you know, like it's definitely still sitting for us, even though it feels very much a, like natural at the same time. And so it's fun. I love having this season of life to do life with someone. I could not as individualistic as I can be sometimes and autonomous as I can be, there's no way I think I could have survived this season of life um without having someone with it with me in it and so I'm very very thankful um for just the timing of everything and and for him and he he's definitely a listener and a knower and um our conversations are like my favorite part of just how we do life right now and so yeah it's been very it's been very fun yeah congratulations girl I'm so thank happy. you thank you I'm like still in therapy working through my fears around marriage of course you're also I'm like I don't mean this like drug you're like so so young which I hate saying but like there's still so much like I don't feel like I fully understood who I was until like two years ago and I'm I'll be 29 this year and so it was like perfect timing like my my husband and I met maybe like two years ago you know and it was like at that point where I knew more about who I was, you know, and then I met him and I was like, oh, there's actually a lot more to me that you were bringing out, which is super scary. But man, like I, I did, I was doing a lot of work before meeting him, you know, just like with myself and it's super necessary. Like I could not have imagined getting married any younger um because getting married any younger, I would have been like, who am I? Like, who are you? Like, I have no idea, but commend my friends who got married young but I was like I don't even know who I am <laughs> you know like I can't I can't do that my brain like molding differently every second yeah um, yeah don't stop developing until like 25 25 26 yeah. yeah um but I am like consciously trying to do that work in therapy because you know my I've been through I always joke I've been through through three divorces but I've never been married yeah yeah through my parents um yeah. But it's always just very reassuring for me to, to mm. hear love stories, I suppose, because I um, I have this thing in my head that like, oh, when I get married, I'll take away that individualism that you mm. talk about, activity, the this and the that. But in- oh, no, girl, you won't yeah. ever work through that. So I'm like, I'm married yeah. and he's in my apartment. I still have moments of like my bed, you know, or like my this. And I'm like, mm, our hour you know like to the point where I had to get a new doormat that said welcome to our home because I needed that reminder that this is ours you know like nothing right now to its fullness is just mine you know um and that was like work we did while dating you know like he's just like I just want to be on your team I don't feel like you want me to be on your team and I'm like my team is me I don't know I don't need anyone on my team but that work is like especially you know from an oldest child or even an only child perspective of like that's continuous that that work is definitely continuous so 
Yeah. Partnership is a whole new level of growth. And it wasn't until oh, I man, yeah. that I like opened myself up to it that I'm like, it's not yeah. going to stagnate my growth. It's actually going to put it on a totally different frequency. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So here's the big finale that I want to talk about. You know? Yeah. Okay. You yeah, know. I think so. <laughs> in your bones. Tell us about that um, before we close off and talk about where to find you. I would love to hear about the inspiration behind it and yeah, how it came to be. Yeah. So the poem actually um, I wrote about a little over a year ago um, as a teaching artist, I worked with incarcerated youth um, and I would bring journal prompts and, and writing prompts into class sessions with us. And so um, I had this theme of doing an I am poem. So them listing out who they are. So I am, you know, magic. I am a poet. I am this, but being creative with it. And then I, uh, this last version of it, I said, okay, do an I am poem but then add ingredients. So like you would have a cup of sugar or one fourth of this or a teaspoon of something. I was like, I want you to add ingredients. And so I always do the prompts with them because I think a huge part of being a teacher is, is going first. And so I did the prompt with them and I finished the poem and I was like, oh, I actually kind of like that, you know? And so the poem came first. And then much later, um, I often say spilling instead of writing because it's usually the process is this poem is coming out right now. Get your phone, get your voice memo, get something because it's happening. Like there's no, like, let me light my candle. Let me create a mood. It's very much so like laying in Shavasana and you're like, and I, I will start getting lines and they'll just repeat until I start writing them down. I'm like, no, not now. And so um, that's usually the process of writing. And so I also get that with music sometimes. And a lot of times it'll just be a melody um, that'll hum for moments for or for days. And, I, and then eventually words will come. And so I was driving with my then boyfriend and, um, and we're, we're driving and I just, I just started humming. I often also as a feeler, if we are leaving events or if we're leaving moments, I have to not have music on in the car um, because I'm overstimulated or like, you know, like moments after things like this, I'm like, no sound, you know, like no nothing for a moment because I have to like recoup. And so we were driving without music and I just started humming um, and uh, we're, we're driving and I'm humming and I, I'm like, what is happening? And it's usually like this, something is coming, <laughs> you know, like so, something is about to happen moment. And so I'm driving, I was driving actually, and I just, just started humming. And it's just like, da, 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 da. I was like, oh, I like how that sounds, but I have no idea what that is. And again, it was just like, da, 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 da. and John was like, what are you seeing? I was like, I have no idea. She's like, let it come to me, you know? And eventually it's, there's magic in your bones. It's magic in your eyes. And I just kept repeating that over and over again. And then um, when I did finally, finally finish the song, I realized like, oh, my I am poem, like this actually could kind of go together. And so I started doing, I do so far shows and things like that. I'm out here in LA. And so for one of the next so far shows, I was like, I'm going to try it together, you know, and see how it goes. And I loved it. 
um, and the audience loved it. And I try not to sing a whole ton for stuff just because I'm like, oh, my friends can do that, you know, or other people can do that. I'm not a singer, I'm a poet. Um, but I, I also don't want to uh, negate these melodies that do come to me. And so, yeah, we just released it on iTunes and Spotify, which I loved how it turned out. Um, like I wanted it to feel like people were in the room or in the car with me. Like I just told that story and, um, and, and to feel their own magic in it at the same time. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it came about. Ah, uh, I love, you know, have you ever gotten goosebumps on your cheeks? <laughs> like, I get that when it's like mad goosebumps and it's like, there's, wow. like, no. there's nowhere else. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that. And I mean, I, I listened to it before we got on this interview. It's on IGTV as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Magic in Your Bones. People can search it on iTunes and Spotify. Yeah. And I love the audio track at the beginning where you're telling that story. Yeah. Like exactly what you just told us. Yeah. Like we're there with you. Yeah, I know. I definitely wanted... Um, like one of my favorite movies is is her and um there's this moonlight song and uh Scarlett Johansson is talking in it and I just uh, that has stuck with me for the longest time and so with 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 magic I was like I want an intro like I want to talk into the song um and into the poem and I want the song to sit for a moment and then I want the poem to come and then I want the song to like echo out you know so I'm not a music person so I'm trying to convey this to like my producer and I'm like yeah yeah but like loop and then a and then like a pause and then an echo and then my voice I want like to sound like a record you know <laughs> like and I'm like trying to say all of this and it came out exactly how I imagined it and exactly how I wanted it and so I was like I want people to feel like I am talking to them like I want to feel in the room with them and one of my friends you know was like it's so great thank you so much like she was like I felt like you were in the car with me and I like almost started bawling when she said that because I was like that's exactly what I wanted um I want the poems to sound like they're out of show with me or I want the poems to sound like we're in you know we're having coffee with one another and it's just a conversation and so for that to be able to be conveyed through a track is like magical to me in itself so yeah. you're magical no thank you like you are magical and I I feel that and I think it really bridges the gap between like what you said earlier you as a poet first and a musician and having that right. track at the beginning and I'm like wow okay this is you <laughs> know they did it they made it thank you. whoever created that too yeah my friend Paul um also fictitious professor is his like musician name and so yeah yeah no it's thank incredible you. um where can we find you in the on online space where can we hire you work with you yes um yeah everything is ariel astoria so a-r-i-e-l-l-e-e-s-t-o-r-i-a that's on instagram itunes soundcloud uh youtube itunes and spotify and all of those and then my website which is just my name arielastoria.com you can find my booking request on my calendar on there um and like i said i do workshops i host events um i mc as well and do custom poetry i also do love poems so if anyone is getting married and you want a poem about your relationship i do those too so yeah i'm not getting married but i want a poem (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're my favorite i've done them mostly for 
for weddings. I've done like three weddings where people wanted poems instead of songs to walk down the aisle to or to walk out to. And so I'll sit down with the couple. I'll ask them their story, how they met, um, what words or quotes or songs or things that keep them alive. What little inside jokes do they have? And then usually by the end of our session together, I have a poem written about what they just told me. And so um, then I usually go and I have my little notebook, my little wedding notebook now, and I'll read the poem that is their love poem at their wedding. And so it's really fun. Wow. Okay. Goosebumps in my cheeks again. <laughs> yeah, you're so sweet. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time, you. for serving us, for gracing us with your art. Um, I just thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be connected in this way. And I, I hope that we continue to do so. Yes, please. Thank you. Have a great day, love. Thank you, Arielle. Thanks everyone for listening. And we will talk to you next time.